This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. If you're a catch and release fly fisher, how do you prove that you really did catch a plump 17 inch cutthroat? Well, the answer is usually take a photo. I saw a creative one last week in the Bozeman Yellowstone Airport, or whatever they call that now. It was Gallatin Field when I lived there back in the day. But when you go through security in the Bozeman Airport, there are several outdoor photos, and one of them is of a guy holding a brown trout. But the guy is completely submerged in the water, and he's holding the trout out of it. With the hand up? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. right. I know. Yeah, I guess something kind of backwards about that photo, but uh, it's kind of fun. But that selfie with the trout that you take or the photo of the trout on the grass by your fly rod might be life-threatening. Now, not for you, but for the trout. So today we're going to talk about how thoughtful fly fishers handle and photograph fish without harming them. And the idea and content for this episode comes from one of our listeners, whose name is Tyler Farling. Now, we were hoping to have Tyler on today's podcast, but he had a lame excuse. He was out fly fishing for trout. In Colorado. Yes. Can you imagine that? (laughs) He'd pick that over being on our podcast. I know it. (laughs) But Tyler graciously sent us some material he's put together on the topic, and we think it's terrific. Uh, Dave, before we talk about how to handle the fish that we catch and release, uh, why don't you introduce our listeners to Tyler? Tyler is a young fly fisher out of Utah, and he is working on a master's degree in fisheries and aquatic aquatic ecology at Oklahoma State University. And I think he's done now with his residence work and now is working uh, in, in Utah. Recently, he and his wife moved to southwest Utah, where he started actually a Trout Unlimited chapter. Oh, that's great. Uh, they have a wild rainbow trout stream and a canyon four miles from their house. So uh, so we're jealous. Yes, we are. <laughs> and he also spent uh, part of his research was, was looking at what do you call them, juvenile rainbow trout in a tailwater. Yeah. And yeah. and so he's done a lot of res- uh, research. He's in a sense of a fish biologist or will be as mm-hmm. soon as he completes his, I think he has one more class left in stats. I remember taking stats. Wow. It's no fun. That's why you keep that class to the last in the, yeah. in, in, in the process. But we are so grateful for Tyler and his wisdom. Yeah, we and really, really are. And really every one of these points comes from Tyler. Yeah. So he shared five tips. I, I think we added a six that was really his as well. Uh, So six tips for proper fish handling for catch and release anglers, and let's uh, let's talk about those. The first is, and this should be patently obvious, but it's not so much. I think it's get your hands wet before touching a trout. Yeah, always, always. Always Dry hands can remove the mucus, uh, the slime which protects the trout from unwanted bacteria now again tyler is the one who sent that to us he's a fish biologist so he would he would know that right Right. and -hmm. here was something that i thought was really interesting that he said you often see now a lot of pics with um, fly fishers especially on instagram with fly fishing gloves it's kind of a an accessory now that everybody has and he said you know Fishing gloves, while good for keeping your skin protected, have been known to be harder on a trout's body and can leave dark marks on their skin. Hmm. I didn't know that. So in other words, it removes some of that slime 
and and so it's just something to consider uh, that maybe you don't need that you know expensive pair of Sims uh, fly fishing gloves. Yeah, and, and not to pat ourselves in the back, but I've I've noticed as I've watched you, and I've I've done this too over the years. We just get used to dipping our hands in the water if we're going to touch a fish, yeah, and it's, it's so important. So secondly, he says use a net and keep the trout wet. Uh, by the way, he recommends there's a lot of good info at keepemwet.org. That's uh, this is all one string. It's the word keep and then em for m and wet. Keepemwet.org. And I actually looked at that and I, I thought the tone was was pretty good. I thought they had good pieces of advice, but they didn't seem to come across too. Uh, legalistic. I don't know. Have you looked at that at all, Dave? Or? I have, and I th- I think it's just a great organization. I think I remember uh, someone posting something on an Instagram post that that I had done for us. It was you, I think, at 16 Mile with a big brown, and someone said, you know, I sure wish that you had had your hands more wet. That seemed a little hypercritical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <it laughs> and did. judgmental. Especially since I always wet my hands. Right, and how I, would you I, be able to know that yeah, in the photo? Right, I guess if there's not water dripping off of them, I suppose I could have dunked the trout and made a show of it. But yeah. uh, Anyway, yeah, I, I thought it you definitely keep them wet is a great org, yeah. and I do think you have to kind of beware of legalism in this moment, yeah, but I, do. Um, I think it's a great firm. So the idea, some of the ideas related to this, you know, only let the fish out of the water for a quick photo. And what you want to do is exp- is not to expose the trout any more than you have to to uh, uh, out of the water environment. And that's where a net can come in. Try to keep the fish in the net, particularly submerged. So it's getting waters through its gill. So most of the carbon fiber framed or aluminum framed nets float. Uh, according to Tyler, this makes it a lot easier to, to do that. Uh, he reminds us that rubber nets are also better for trout. Uh, mesh nets are notorious for removing the mucus or slime from a trout's body. Uh, you can also get the gills caught in them. I remember that happening yeah, once. Yeah, absolutely. And then, oh, and I, do I remember this, taking forever to remove your hook when it gets stuck in it. Right. But for the sake of the trout or, or whatever you're fishing for, uh, yeah, rubber nets are just the way to go. So if, if you've been wanting to justify the, the, the <laughs> price of a new uh, net with this composite material and maybe you want a little bit bigger net or, or something different, uh, you can justify it by saying, hey, my my old net that cost me a bunch uh, has this mesh and it's just not, uh, you know, it's just not safe for the trout. So in the interest of being a good sports person, I need that $160 I need, net. Yes, a new fish pond <laughs> net. You yeah. really like the fish pond nomad yeah, emerger, really do. don't you? Yeah, I really do. I wish, we were, a, I wish they were our sponsors, but they're not. I know it. We could be a shill for them, but man, uh, I know. But you do like that Nomad. Yeah, it's got it, a nice deep net to it, and it's got that rubber netting. And I think yeah. it's really easy to, to keep fish in the water with that net. Yep, it really is. Anything else on this, Steve? Well, maybe a third uh, suggestion. If you want to take a photo, never lay a trout on the ground. Uh, instead, what you want to do is to hold the trout over the water in case they flop. If they flop, they'll flop into the water, uh, you know, there, there are times where we've, we've seen that. I mean, I've, I've done that years ago. I, I lay a fish out on the ground, and then just when I get my camera ready, it starts flopping, so you lay it down again. And, and Tyler reminds us that this can expose fish to bacteria that, 
that can weaken its immune system and, and slow down its growth. And, and all of that's going to increase the, the mortality. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's important. Uh, thinking about taking photos, uh, not laying the trout in the ground, what, what else would you say? He also says to support the weight of, of a trout's body. In other words, yeah. one hand under the pectoral fins in the front and be behind the head and then you know you one hand near the 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 tail fin or the what he calls it the caudal fin yeah mm -hmm. one of the pictures that i have of myself and i think toby took it on a on a guide on a guided trip down i think it was the lower madison and it was this big brown trout i remember i couldn't grab a hold of it and so i just grabbed it in the middle of its stomach <laughs> yeah. and took a picture and he posted it on facebook and somebody posted a few minutes after he posted that somebody commented and said ah the death grip and it was it looked like like i was squeezing the trout's yeah. body you know cuz i was trying to keep that thing from squirming and jumping out i would say probably on guided trips fish are at most risk because you're pulling them out of water for those photos. Yeah, and they're in a boat, so if they slip out of your hands, they may slip. They're in the bottom of the drift yeah, boat, that's, right? That's so lovely. I just think being really thoughtful and careful so that's yeah. not happening. And related to that, never Tyler says never put your fingers in the trout's gills. And that may not occur to a lot of people, except if you have a really large fish. I mean, that's that's what you used to do back in the day. Yeah, with the you, northern pike. Yeah, when you'd kill a fish, you'd you'd hold it that way. But as you can imagine, that greatly increases mortality. Uh, Tyler says it would be like sticking your fingers down someone's throat, but more in their lungs. Pretty terrible thing to yeah, think of. Yeah, for sure. Dave, I can demonstrate that over <laughs> your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave's not going to be joining us yeah. for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Who's going to say, for the love of fly fishing? I know All it. Right. I know it. All right, before we continue our podcast, Dave, I just have to say, you smell pretty good today. What's the deal with that? Oh, my. You are way too close to me, man. Move <laughs> over. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, it sounds like another plug for our sponsor, doesn't it? Uh, it does. We are sponsored by Dr. Squatch Soap. Uh, we never thought we'd be, uh, uh, be a shill the, for a right, soap. singing the virtues of, of soap. But, wow, this stuff is really, really good. It is. It's Dr. Squatch Natural Outdoor Soap. And you can find it at drsquatch.com. Now, what is your favorite bar of soap? Or maybe I should say, what's your current bar of soap? Well, I'm kind of hooked on the pine tar. I like that. But I'm, I'm trying the, the new spearmint basil. I'm... I'm actually uh, eager for my pine tar bar to uh, uh, to to get so small that I can't use it anymore. And it's taken a while. The stuff lasts, but yeah, I've I've got the spearmint uh, basil on deck, and I'm I'm kind of interested in that. And then there's a new sage that I'd like to try as well. well I'm using bay rum right now. Um, I try oh yeah, to, that's good I, stuff. I buy lots of pine tar, but I use it so quickly that I'm, I'm interspersing it with other bars of soap and I'm finding I like all these other bars of soap. So one of the great things about Dr. Squatch is that it's, it's soap, it's natural soap, it's made in the USA and it's for men, right? It's yeah. not, it doesn't come off the same factory line that your wife's or partner's soap comes out of, right? It's like real soap for guys who love the outdoors. Yeah, that, that's right. It's, it's great stuff and it's, uh, it uh, doesn't have the harsh chemicals, but the smell's good. My wife's commented on it. She says, wow, that, that really smells good. So 
Uh, just because it's a manly smell doesn't mean it <laughs> smells like, uh, you know. Like a, skunk. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right, uh, like skunk. Uh, it's great stuff. We think you'll like it. And uh, just by punching in uh, two guys, the number two and then G-U-Y-S, two guys in the promo code area, uh, you'll get 20% off. Yep, do it now. Go to drsquatch.com. And now, back to our podcast. So another point that Tyler makes is do not move fish back and forth in the water to revive it. Oh, that's fascinating because I've done that before. I have yeah. too. He says, hold the fish facing upstream so the water is flowing through the gills until the trout swims off under its own power. Huh, so in a yeah. sense, this idea of trying to trying to get them to go, allowing the water to go through their gills and letting them go off at their own pace, really. Yeah. Wow, that's good. That's good insight. He said also said that not moving the fish back and forth also applies to lake fishing releases as huh, well. And that's that's what I was thinking about. How does this yeah. work with that? He said it's the equivalent to forcing air into or out of our lungs. And he he says, and this is only what a you know a fish biologist like Tyler could say. He says the gills of a trout pull oxygen from the water as it runs over them. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. Yeah. You would never know this stuff. No, no, it really is. Well, here's another really important one. If water temperatures are 70 degrees or above, Tyler says, take the afternoon off and give the fish a break. Yeah. I would even do that at about 68, uh, but somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, if you catch and handle trout at these temperatures, it's most likely going to end with their death. I mean, they're just, yeah. that's just how it is. Uh, he was doing some research on trout in a tailwater fishery. By the way, we used that expression earlier. If, if you fished a lot, you know what a tailwater is. But if you're new to fly fishing, that would be water that is released from a dam. And usually the temperature is a little bit more stable. And, and it's unless, more like a spring creek. It is. And unless the water is released from the lower part of the dam, if it's coming up over a spillway off the higher uh, you know, part of the, uh, more off the surface, then, then those can be a little bit warmer. And he said that trout that had gotten too warm, uh, well, there, there were people upstream releasing fish and they, they were just floating by him, you know, just lifeless. And wow. you know, it, was, it was a warm day, the water temps So they temps catch them, release yeah. them, thinking they were okay. And, right. and you know, and, 100 yards downstream, yep. they're floating by here, Tyler. Here they come. So... What does he say, Dave? At 70 degrees, what? Rainbows start to get pretty, pretty lethargic. lethargic. And he said at 72 to 73 degrees, brown trout are getting to the point of lethargic. Well, he says at 70 degrees, rainbows start to get lethargic. And okay. at 72 to 73, we know that brown trout simply can live in warmer waters, and they often yeah. do. They live farther downstream. Yep. Wherever you're fishing, once it hits that 70, and I think you're right, 68 to 70 degrees, man, just go home. I mean, yep, and you know, for, I've I've actually started carrying a thermometer again. I did this, I did this several years ago when I lived in Montana. Then I kind of got away from it because it's like one more thing to deal with. But uh, I I bought a little thermometer recently, and I just clip it on my uh, my wading boots, and you know, kind of tuck it into the lacing, and and then when I'm wading, I'm I'm in the river. I just have to remember when I take a step out of it to look at that. But I was. I was fishing the Boulder River in Montana a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was like 56, 57 degrees every day. The conditions were just uh, perfect. So I'm, I'm going to do that more and, and just pay attention because we do fish uh, sometimes the lower Madison 
in Montana, and especially where it comes out of the bear trap, uh, boy, that can be that can get warm later in the in the summer on those hot days. And there were a couple years where we fished the last week of July, first week of August. Yeah. And sometimes that river is really warm at that point. It is, and, and either you fish it early in the morning and let it go, or you just avoid it altogether. And then that way you avoid one of the major hatches on that stretch of river, uh, which we call the inner tube hatches. <laughs> yeah, where they there do are, put in at warm springs, oh, yeah, don't they? Yeah, they do. Where there are people, they, they float warm springs to Black Ford, and there are people and their coolers you know, floating <laughs> down the river. Uh, meanwhile, there's rattlesnakes lined up in the side of the bank. Seriously. Too bad they don't and, take out a couple of those people. Oh, man. Just joking. I know. I, I talked Not to, serious. I talked to somebody once. Uh, we were out uh, shooting trap along the river, and there were th- there were people who were uh, you know walking by in bathing suits carrying a big cooler. Yeah, and in inner tubes. And I, I just said, "Hey, by the way, have you seen any rattlesnakes?" No, rattlesnakes. I said, uh, "Yeah, w- I just saw one back there, fifty yards. You know, so watch." <laughs> and so anyway, uh, yeah. The the point that I've digressed from that I was trying to make is. Yeah, if water temperatures hit 68 to 70, uh, go do something else. For sure. Yep. There's another one point here that Tyler makes, and he says if you are keeping fish to eat, and you know certainly some anglers would do that, um, if you are keeping fish to eat, don't keep them alive on a stringer yeah. and then replace them with bigger ones. Yeah. This is called culling, right? So you keep the small ones, and then you throw the small ones back when you get a little bigger ones, and the, the stringer, if you put a, like a traditional bass or walleye stringer th- through their gills, you'll damage, well, through, well, you'll damage their gills yeah. and their mortality is like 100%, right? You in will. fact, according to Tyler, this is actually illegal in, yep. all, in all states. And you can imagine the mortality rate, again, is probably 100% oh, yeah. when you do that. So what you want to do if, if you're keeping fish, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I have I hadn't done that for about a decade until a couple weeks ago, and and it's not because I'm, you know, I'm a pure fly fisher. It's just that, you know what I've I've eaten you know tons of trout over the years, and and I just like to catch them. Uh, but uh, we were we were at this camp, and they they wanted to, you know, they had a Friday night steak. Uh, you know, well, they called it a steak fry. They really didn't fry the steak. They bar they did it on grills, but. Uh, they, they wanted a few fish, and they said, hey, if you catch any trout. So I actually kept a couple, and, and I've done what I always did back in the day when I used to keep fish, and that is uh, I got them out immediately. And one reason is so that the meat doesn't spoil. But you know what? If you do that, then you're not tempted to replace them. And, and like you said, Dave, that's where the real uh, damage can happen. I have not kept fish in years. Probably one of the last times I did so was when I took the hike to Harrison Flats, a high mountain lake, and we caught a bunch of cutthroat. Yeah. And, and we put wrapped them in tinfoil. We had brought some tinfoil and some lemons yep. and a little butter and cooked them over oh, an open yeah. fire. <laughs> oh. I cannot, the meat just fell off. Oh. It was unbelievable. I love cutthroat and, and brook trout. Seem to have the best flavor. Sometimes those rainbow will too, especially where they're feeding on, I don't know, sh- freshwater shrimp or some crustaceans that almost make their flesh pink. 
I would never eat a brown trout. Ever. No, no, not at all. Fact, Dave, I'm, I'm sure I've shared this before, but I have a great <laughs> recipe for brown trout. I heard this from a fly fisher in, in Rocky Mountain National Park, Jerry Williams. He was from the south, and he loved catfish and hush puppies. But he says, but I've come up with the ultimate brown trout recipe. He says, what you do is, is you, uh, uh, you know, fillet the brown trout. You, you lay it out on a pine board slab. You preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Uh, bake the trout. Uh, for uh, 20 minutes at 350, take it out, throw away the brown trout, and eat the pine board. <laughs> <laughs> That's so old, Steve. I know. But, That's like the oldest yeah, ever. But, but you laugh. You're, you're totally cracking up. So don't you give me garbage about my, uh, my hilarious, hilarious story. So, oh, hey, boy, by the way, do you remember old. we were fishing in, uh, I think it was, not this spring, but the spring before, we were fishing near Canfield Creek oh, Park yeah. there. And there was this. So we were already parked, getting on our waders. And this guy gets there in his pickup truck and jumps out and oh, gets man. ahead he of us. He ran down to the river. He ran down to the river, and he was a, he was a keeper. He and was we won't a bait fisherman he, and he, keeper. Yeah, he's bait fishing. That's And that's we're not fine. judging he's that. Keeping. No. No. But he, what we are judging, though, is, is <laughs> how quick. He, all he could care about was getting ahead of us. So uh, I think he ended up keeping, he said he caught like what, I think we taught, ran into him later, didn't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got and two or three fish. one or two that were over the size limit. Yeah, he, exactly. He was trying to justify <laughs> that. So, oh uh, boy. Yeah. Well, once again, what we're saying today is thoughtful fly fishers learn to handle and photograph fish without harming them. Uh, it's part of conservation and protecting our heritage, and we really appreciate uh, Tyler Farling uh, sharing his insights with us. And uh, we know some of you who listen are, are guides, or you have expertise, or uh, maybe you're not officially, uh, uh, you know, part of the fly fishing industry, but you've just done it long enough that you have some good ideas and tips. So we're we're always glad to hear from you about ideas, topics, and any insights you have. And uh, uh, like we've done with uh, Tyler, we'll be glad to borrow and steal your material. And what Steve really wants <laughs> is oh, a brown no. trout recipe. <laughs> oh, great. Yes. Thank- oh, great. I'm going to be, I can see now, I'm going to be getting a bunch of these. And I'm sure that if you smother it with the right cream sauce, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure you could make it taste good. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, send it to Dave. Yeah, exactly. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here is Paul's response to Dave's piece on the joy of fly fishing at the end of days. And uh, that, that was a very moving piece. And Paul says, this was a poignant post about the aging sportsman and athlete, or life livers, as I like to call them. My parents are both in their 80s now, and while they both had their health baubles recently, my dad continues to work out and or power walk five to six days a week. Wow. Good for him. And my mom is once again a demon on her sewing machine, and both remain active volunteers as well. What has centered them throughout their struggles is the joy and energy they get from being able to resume living life and giving back to their community, and this inspires me. That's great. It is. Our pursuits and passions are what add quality to our lives, rich in them and gifts for those that are willing to listen to us recount for the nth time our tales of glory on the field, course or river, a glimpse inside our heads and a chance to get that same seed 
planted in their heads about pursuing passions. Thanks for reminding me to live life well every chance I get. Wow. Yeah, that's I, a, that's a that great That is comment. moving. Thank yeah, you so moving. much for that. That yeah. is really a great comment. Oh, I know. It really is. And, uh, yeah, sometimes you're, you're forced to slow down with uh, with age. I know you are, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably as I am, too. We don't move as fast in our mid-50s as we did in our mid-20s. But, uh, but That's so yeah, sure. Oh, I know. That's right. Yeah, you. I must move fast because you still complain about me uh, passing you up. Going from hole to hole. But, no, seriously, you know, we acknowledge as you get older there are some limitations. But but some of this is a decision, too. Uh, and, and that is, if, are you going to continue to work out? Are you going to continue to uh, fly fish? Maybe you can't walk, you know, four miles back in somewhere, but you can go a half mile. And uh, yeah. uh, that, that's, the, that's the old fly fishers that, that we hope to be. Yeah, or I should say the... The elderly fly fishers. We're probably already old fly fishers. That's what my kids would say about me. Yeah, they're judgy though. They're judgmental. I, yeah, they really are. You know, that younger generation. What do they know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Millennial. I know. Millennials. What do yes. they know? Well, that's going to do it for today. What other suggestions do you have for handling and photographing fish in a way that does not endanger them? Please tell us by commenting on this podcast link at twoguysinariver.com. What else can we do to handle fish in a way that minimizes the threat of harming them? And please continue to refer our podcast for the link from the email that we send out each week. If you are subscribed to our weekly email alert, if not, jump on the website and, and sign up. And if you have not yet purchased the book, our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish. Be sure to do so on Amazon. Have we caught up with John Grisham's yet on I sales? I think we're close to John yeah, Grisham. maybe so. You know? Yeah, or Tom Clancy. Or Tom Clancy. Yeah, right. we're just, we're amazing. We're oh, really I know. amazing. I know. That's These so bestsellers true. that we write. My yep. gosh. Oh, something else. You know, you know, we're just so grateful to write bestsellers, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> Oh, if only, if only, in our dreams, yes. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>